Welcome to Look Behind the Look, the new podcast that examines iconic looks in film, television, music, and fashion history. I'm your host, Tiffany Bartok. Hello and welcome to a new day. It's a new day in America. I already feel 100% lighter and I'm ready to receive positive change. How about you? Inauguration was great, and this month has been surprisingly busy. I've had the honor of talking to some incredible artists that I have yet to share with you, and I've been so thrilled to hear your reactions in all forms, in reviews, comments on social, DMs, and texts. I hope you know that it gives me and Kelly and Jason Nicole, who have slaved away on this project, so much fuel to keep going when you engage with us. I realize that you have a lot of content to choose from, and the fact that you spend time with us makes all of our hard work worth it. Today, I am going to share with you my conversation with James Bomer. James is the Global Artistic Director for Shiseido Makeup. He is a mastermind of project development. We got into it, let me tell you. To prepare you, this is a deep dive into creating innovative products. And James was so generous to share his time and his inspiration, process, and philosophies with me. Don't forget to follow James on IG as well, James Aaron Bomer, for some beautiful art for your feed. He is full of amazing information that he is sharing with all of us today. And I hope you enjoy this episode. And last thing, don't forget that if you are listening to this, you can see all of the looks that we're referencing if you watch the pod via YouTube. So enjoy. Hi, James. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have James Bomer with me today, and I am going to just, we have so much to talk about today. (laughs) And you're history in this industry is so wide and there's so much to say. And so I just really want to get started because I want to get it all in here. Um, I know you from NARS times and um, I know your artistry from then when I was like such a fan and geeking out over everybody who was the big thing in in the industries and your work is incredible obviously and you were um working with the ba- brand when when I came to know your work and I um now you're at Shiseido of course and um I we met in person finally at the Kevin O'Conn premiere in the Hamptons and it was so great and I fanned out a little bit and so um I just I'm so happy that you agreed to do this because I've been wanting to talk to you and share all that you know about creating a makeup line for an iconic brand and all of the accomplishments that you can speak on. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into the business? Yeah, of course. Well, I'm also so excited to be here. And, oh, and again, thanks. Something, something that maybe not everyone knows is that we also have a really good mutual friend, Justin Teodoro, who did a lot of the um, animation for the opening credits of your movie. And, and I know Justin really well. So that was uh, that was actually what brought me to the premiere of the Kevin documentary in the Hamptons. Um, so I'm also very grateful for that little chance meeting. Um, yes. Course, so happy to be here and, and doing this uh well, I'm not really anywhere. I'm in my I'm in my apartment, but I'm you know, here. I'm here in spirit. I know, so. right? <laughs> You've carved out the time. That's, That's right. That's all we can do now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's always so hard. To, I mean, it's always it's always interesting to figure out like where to start. I I yeah. I've always been 
I guess, a fan of, of beauty and um, makeup specifically. And, and I think for me as a, as a kid, um, you know, growing up in the Midwest, um, you know, I, I, I felt like this whole notion of glamour and, you know, maybe artifice and performance um, was was always such a beacon to me, and was always something that I was attracted to from a, from a young age. So I I, I always remember um, you know lighting um, you know in camera effects in movies or on television, you know magazine editorials, all of that sort of um, it, it paints this 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 moment. I think that was always very influential. I I what I thought I was going to do was actually um, be more in front of the camera and and more um, sort of performer I wanted to dance and that was oh, what my really? first I didn't was. know that about you uh, yeah so I I sort of that was always my dream and I sort of started uh studying dance a little bit too late I I started you know as I was becoming a teenager so so my discipline um and oh. my commitment was not really there I wanted to be a you know stupid teenager like like everyone did um so I think it's interesting I sort of fell into makeup I think sort of um organically post my dreams of performing, you know, because I was adjacent to all of that. As a teenager, I sort of fell into, um, you know, doing makeup on my friends and doing makeup on myself. You know, I, I went to, I was in high school in the 90s when, there were, you know, late 80s, early 90s, during all of that great expression. Um, the supermodel moments, grunge, no eyebrows, you know, all of that sort of moment. So I feel like I was very experimental personally. And then when I, when I started college, um, I just sort of connected with people in, in my arts college in Chicago that were making student films that were doing performance. Um, so that sort of, I guess, solidified this idea of makeup. And then I sort of just pulled it out of a hat, honestly, because I decided to drop out of college and I had to tell my dad what I was going to do, um, as a career. And I just wow. said, sort of, makeup artist is, is what I'm going to do. And so he, his dreams of you being a professional dancer were tr- trashed and now you're a makeup artist. <laughs> I don't think anyone in my family was ever as into the dreams of me becoming like a professional dancer or like a performer. I don't Okay. Think, that's, you know, that's really a relief. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think anyone was, I think it was more like, honestly, I think my dad was actually a little relieved when I, when I had something to focus on because it was, mm. it was always very much, um, adjacent to, you know, I was taking, I was taking, um, sewing classes. I was taking like, you know, studio art classes. I sort of studied everything. I was taking modern dance. I mean, I was sort of a non-declared art major mm-hmm. and I think, you know, that was probably more frustrating to my dad, honestly, than like, um, having a point of view. And, and again, I, I, I was lucky enough. I did this, this independent film, a friend of mine in, in school, um, her boyfriend at the time actually got a little bit of money to produce a film in Chicago. And I came on board to do costumes and hair and makeup just because I sort of was into it. And, you know, I was basically like free labor, like all of us were working on this project. And the producer that was, um, that was working on the film liked me and I guess saw some moxie in me. I don't know what you call it. And then I started booking work with him shortly after on, on like commercial work and um, television. So it, it sort of became, I mean, from that first little job, I, I started working and then through, through him really, I, I met other makeup artists in the industry. I started working with um, and assisting other makeup artists in Chicago, not really on anything. um, Initially, nothing major, like lots of catalog work, lots of commercial work. Um, 
but it was a start and it, and it gave me sort of my entrance into the industry. And then at the same time, I, I realized that you could also sort of supplement your income and get free product and mm -hmm. sort of stay connected to, to brands really more on the brand side. I started working um, like the retail end of makeup. I started working at Barney's um, in Chicago and just that sort of uh, developed the relationships that I started with with brands. And that's that's what led to my um, very long tenure at NARS, actually. So. Ah, Barney's. What what college were you at? I was at Columbia College in Chicago. Okay, yeah. in Chicago the whole time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, and I where were you in, born? I grew up in St. Louis and I was there. I, I left for Chicago with a friend of mine from high school. Um, I did one semester of community college before before going to Chicago. Um, so I was, I moved to Chicago in March of 94, um, which, you know, was just such an interesting time. I think culturally, um, especially in like yeah. the sort of zeitgeist of fashion at the moment, it For was still sure. that, that moment of, um, of the supers and the moment of, you know, Kevin and Francois and, and, and all of that, um, you know, that incredibly inspiring moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was by the time. By 96, so, I started working um, for the brand NARS, um, you know, in Chicago at Barney's. Um, and then that sort of just developed the, the relationship that sort of evolved over the years. What was the Chicago scene like? I don't really know a lot about it. You know, I was in Portland, Oregon, so I, everything seemed glamorous to me. But was did Chicago feel like, did you have a yearning to go to New York or did you feel satisfied in Chicago? I think I always wanted to go to New York. I actually, you know, from from St. Louis growing up. I mean, I think my my initial thought was that I would that I would go to New York. I knew that I would end up in New York. Um, Chicago was just sort of closer, closer mm -hmm. to home. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also because I I, you know, I I had an attraction to the city. I'd been there, you know, as a teenager, and and it seemed like an interest interesting place to be. Um, I think there was excitement in Chicago, especially at that time, just because of being a young person and like mm. being away from home for the first time. So I think probably like you, I mean, everything seemed glamorous to me, right? right? Like everything seemed like a first, everything seemed new. Um, but definitely like the, um, I, I think this idea of performance, like, it, you know, because of uh, the people that I met in school, um, you know, meeting people that were studying fashion design, meeting artists, meeting filmmakers, um, you know, performance artists. I, and, and again, I think there was this um, affinity uh, in that in that group, that network of people. So it was sort of like really quickly um, all of that access. Uh, I, I sort of found myself in the middle of all of that, um, that world, which mm. did seem very different from from growing up um, in, in Missouri. So so, yeah, all of it was inspiring. I think the, the the fashion part of it, I think, which which was always something that I really loved, and and I was always, you know, I poured over fashion magazines. I, you know, my my bedroom walls were plastered with, you know, tears from magazines, and so I I I was always very attracted to that world, and I think it was a harder world to come by in Chicago because so much of the industry in Chicago is is obviously more commercial. So I, I had my opportunity. I I I worked with fashion makeup artists in Chicago, but it wasn't, I, I feel like that part of my career didn't really start until I started um, traveling and working in New York, even before I moved. And then obviously when I moved, which was 2003, um, that's when I feel like that sort of, that part of the, 
um, industry and the world sort of opened up to me. Right, right, right. I, I, I wonder if I, I always think of like the kids who don't know, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, the kids out there who don't know. I always want wonder, <laughs> I want to say like, do they, could they possibly understand what we felt in those department stores, in that department store culture? You know, like, do they, there's Sephora now and there's YouTube, right? These are the two outlets, right? So, yeah. so I feel like nobody can ever really understand unless you were there that, community behind the counter and the whole culture of it and it was like a city and that was your neighborhood your nars was your neighborhood but you yeah. lived in this city of barney's yeah and how didn't you feel like you arrived like didn't you feel like this is it like oh totally i'm here i, I, think, I think that's such an i mean it is you know i think because we you know we live in such a different world now we have so much more access to everything you know because of our devices and because of the internet and because of social media so there was something really interesting about um i think you know being a teenager growing up in a small town um really having to sort of seek out um all of those things that you were interested in like you had to like there was only one bookstore in you know st louis where i could get copies of italian vogue or there was only like one movie theater that would like play sort of like art house films. I mean, I remember seeing my own private Idaho and like my brains exploding. Yes. So things like that, I think just not having the access to everything like we do now um, is, is one big part of it. And then to your point, when you land in this environment of like a department store, I think especially department stores like Barney's um, in the 90s, they were so exclusive. Um, the, the products and the designers and the wares that they they actually carried um, were were really hard to find. Were really like the only points of distribution that you could find. So, you know, not just getting like a Jean Paul Gaultier top or like helmet laying jeans, but also being able to get like Nars lipstick or Stila eyeshadow or Makeup Forever foundation. There was such like an exclusivity in the mm -hmm. access to everything. So you did almost feel like um, a gatekeeper a little bit, right? That's like so you true. definitely felt like an insider. I felt like an insider. And, and again, to your point of this community, like, you know, you sort of become one of those like retail kids, I guess. And you, you, it becomes part of um, the community that you're in. So, so not only this community of artists and filmmakers and, um, you know, designers and whatnot, then you also had this sort of um, community of people that, were sort of these insiders in fashion, quote unquote, you know, so, right. so it was, a, it was like an education more than anything. I always say that like those, those formative years, like, you know, I would say like, you know, 90, when I arrived in Chicago to probably like 98, 99, like that seemed like my, my education actually, um, more than my, you know, limited experience in college. Um, I was only there for just under two years total, but like, the I guess the real life experience, starting to work, assisting people, um, doing jobs that were like you know now I look back on them and I'm like oh my god if anyone saw this now I would be mortified I would be <laughs> so embarrassed but you, know, you learn so much of through course. all of that sort of trial and error so yeah I mean it was such a special time and I'm, I'm I remember when you know when Barney's um, finally closed its doors I mean for me that was. Um, that was really bittersweet and really heartbreaking because it was always a part of my career, like sure. in the very beginning. And then, you know, through my almost 20 years with NARS, because NARS as a brand launched at Barney's and 
Francois had a long career, um, you know, doing the ad campaigns for Barney. So there was, mm. there was just such a part of, um, you know, my narrative that would, that was so linked to Barney's my, my ex boyfriend was, um, in visuals for Barney. So it was like my family was, was, was in, you know, was in that organization. So, um, yeah, I mean, now we have the internet. Now we have Google. The good thing is you can, you can still see all of those great yes, things. Yes. Um, you can sort of dig them up. That is the positive that it's all there. <laughs> I, I say to my son all the time, we used to have to go to the library for this. Totally. <laughs> oh my God, you'd have to go to the library. You'd spend all, the, you know, you'd spend all your time in record stores. You'd yeah. spend like in bookstores, which I actually still do. It's funny. It's like one of my favorite things is just like to get in the car and drive. Like I'll, I mm-hmm. sort of like find a bookstore like somewhere in Long Island or New Jersey or Pennsylvania that I've never been to and just sort of go and spend the afternoon, um, you know, digging in a, in a used bookstore. Or I like, do love that too. I do yeah. love that too. <laughs> I, I miss, I miss tower records for, for that, for that daydreaming as well, flipping through things and daydreaming. Um, so, so at NARS you were trained, like, can you talk a little bit about, uh, the corporate culture and how yeah. you stay creative within a, col- a corporate culture? Because a lot of people would see it as like coloring inside the lines a little bit, but you managed to still innovate and very much be original. Um, so how, how does that relationship work? I mean, I think something, something that, I mean, like so many of those brands in the nineties, I think something that, um, you know, the NARS brand did that was really special was it just always, it always held on to um, its very specific brand point of view. So mm-hmm. I think that that really speaks volumes to um, Francois NARS as a creative director and also the, relationship that Francois had with Shiseido Corporation, which ended up acquiring the NARS brand, um, I think in the the early 2000s, um, but always really maintained the integrity and the DNA of the brand. So I do think like, I mean, I did a little bit of everything, um, you know, which I found very interesting. Again, it was a real, it was a really good part of my education, like first and foremost being, you know, having spending time in retail environments so you visit stores you're 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 working with real women and real customers right. which such is a such a great such a great education like yes. you approach it much more as solving a problem when you know yeah. versus when you're on set you can do whatever you want and you're sort of like creating this image or creating like a fantasy it's it's a different approach right. but i think what you learn in um, in the real world and like retail environment is you learn how to like correct an over tweezed eyebrows or like make someone's face look slimmer or cover a breakout and, or deal with like texture in the skin. So, um, those, those are really, really things that are such a big part of, of your education. And I also mm-hmm. think it's interesting because if you, you know, if you're somebody who likes people and I'm, I am that person, I like, <laughs> I, I connect with people. I love to spend time with people. I, I do think there's that, um, there's something really special about that exchange. You know, you have that magic, that connection when it comes to, you know, meeting somebody in such an intimate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from the corporate side, yeah, I mean, it's like, especially when I, I started traveling for the brand. So when we would have events, I would sort of go to wherever it would be. So um, you know, if it was an in-store event in Florida, I would go, if it was, um, like a fashion show that we were doing in New York, if it was like a, um, store event, like you sort of just became, I was one of those team mm-hmm. members that just sort of went everywhere. And then when I moved to New York, um, 
I think, oh, sorry, having a light flash. Here. I like it. I like um, it. It's very, very it's dramatic. Yes. Um, the, I, when I, when I moved to New York, I, I had already started assisting um, Ayako, who was the makeup director for the brand at the time, um, you know, when I could. And then when I moved to New York, I basically just became more available to work with her. So then I started working with her on editorial shoots, campaign shoots, um, you know, getting some of her celebrity clients ready. And then, like I said, that was like the minute I landed in New York, um, I started working more in the industry, I guess, definitely. But then I also started doing more for the brand. I started to deal more with education. I started to deal more with our product development team. Um, you, so just sort of getting, because I, I had access to um, the brand, I, I moved to Nolita and the office at the time for NARS was at, on Broadway and I lived on Mott Street. So I was three blocks away. So it was also like, come honestly, on, this, like, you were living the life, like, come like, on, from, like a geographical point <laughs> That's of view, amazing. I think it was literally like, well, James is down the street. He can be at the office in you know, five minutes, whatever. That's so, great. Um, but you know, then I started, I started traveling internationally. I think like shortly after I moved to New York, I, I went to Japan and Hong Kong for the first time. Um, because that was a big part of what was happening for the brand. For the brand. We were, we were distribu um, widening distribution and launching in foreign markets. So um, I was I was one of the artists that was really responsible for that. So, so again, all of that work, you know, and, and then that led to, you know, starting to work on ad campaigns with Francois. And, and like um, one of my favorite experiences of my time at NARS was actually doing um, makeup for the Make Up Your Mind, Express Yourself book. Yes. Which, honestly, I think for me, it was such an amazing experience because, um, you know, I was, it was, it was Lana Coro and I, who I know you also know Lana. Yes. Um, you know, an amazing part of my experience and part of my family and such an incredible makeup artist. Um, you know, we worked really closely with Francois on, on sort of everything that was happening for the brand. And, I know I won't speak for her, but I'll speak for myself. I was really honored to have the opportunity to do makeup for the book because it's, you know, it's so different than an ad campaign or How? A magazine editorial because it's like a book. It exists forever. Right. Um, and it's interesting, I think, again, just speaking to, you know, what an innovator and what a creative mind and what a forward thinking person um, Francois is. I mean, even the format of the book is like square um, before and after, I mean, it's what, it's like what website product pages look like. It's what Instagram beauty tutorials look like, mm. you know, and he did at first where he really sort of like demystifies the makeup application. You take a before and there's like a vellum that overlays over the book so that you can literally see where each product is applied and then you get the after. Um, and, and that was really always his goal was that like, it's like, it's, you know, there's so much mystery, you know, there's so much like, um secrecy that sort of like that that makeup artists are shrouded in right it's like this 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 miracle that only i know how to do i right only I know how to contour or only i know how to make your eyebrow bigger or i know how to correct your lip but this really demystifies i think the art of makeup and and made it so much more accessible and and i think what was really interesting about that um experience too is that we we worked on real people instead of models so it was like there were um the age, the age group that was represented in, in the people that we shot for that book was like 16 to, I think, 72. And so it was and also the skin tones are very diverse. And of course, the genders, you yes. know, yes. Um, so so this is the second book that you work the second one like that. 
Yes. Yeah, so the first book that Francois um, worked on was Make Up Your Mind. And I think that was done, I think, around 1998, 1998 or 99. Um, and then the second book was, was Make Up Your Mind, Express Yourself, which I think we launched in um, maybe 2010, 2011, some, somewhere around there. I realized I didn't have that book and I, I cried a little bit and I went to, <laughs> went to the, uh, you know, oh man, I thought I had both of them and I was freaking out. So um, yes, I think it was later because I don't know how that happened because I would, I was, uh, I definitely got the first one right away. It was, um, it was so great too. I think like, um, you know, I mean, we shot that book for a month, um, uh -huh. which I, I often think about that just, you know, in, in. I, I think about it in relationship to like how we all work now. I mean, I think we work a lot faster. We work yeah. a lot less um, of a time commitment. And and I think just to be able to, you know, we shot that for a, a, a month solid. Um, we really had time to create those looks. We really had time to, um, it was, it was just a slower time. And I think it's like, I just, the whole experience was, was just so lovely. Like, shooting the models, finding their angles, you know, sort of like deciding um, what we were going to do, what type of like image we were going to portray. And I think, how you was know, that process? How, how was that process? Was it like, let's do a very dramatic look. And then you like, for example, I talked with Lena a little bit about how, for some reason, it's okay that you did this deep smoky eye, so bold, you know, purple and also this wine colored lipstick, which is no one does that. Why does this work? <laughs> I think, you know, it's interesting because I think like, you know, again, just such a, such a great, always such a great experience working with Francois. But I think one thing that I really learned from him, and I think especially on that shoot specifically, um, and, and certainly on, on lots of other experiences and shoots that I, that I had over the years, but I think with that experience, what was really interesting um, was the sort of celebration of spontaneity mm -hmm. and not planning something too much and not overthinking it, like like really being in the moment and um, giving yourself this opportunity to play. Um, because we were working with real, real women and real men, we weren't working with models. Part of the discovery of the process was like finding the angles. So, you know, Francois would photograph them you know, in very beautiful light. So like the before is just as gorgeous as the after, but really sort of finding their angles that we all felt like they they looked the most powerful or the most attractive in. And then we would sort of build the look from there. Like, oh, okay, like she looks, she has such a beautiful neck and has such a great profile. So let's do like a really stretched out eye. And then, mm. you know, I don't know, he'll, he would say something like, think about Grace Jones, you know, or like, think about like, you know, think about like Marissa Berenson and that, that was always how Francois works too. It was very much um, reference. reference and the sort of language of reference. So that was a big part of how we would communicate. Like, um, you, you know, he would, he would throw out a reference to a film or like an icon of Hollywood or fashion. And you would sort of create the look based on that. And, and I think again, to me, that's like, I, that's, that was part of why I, always really wanted to work with Francois. I mean, I think that's why his work always spoke to me is I got that, um, that insider wink, you know, like that little bit yeah. of like, I'm throwing a reference to Sylvie Vartan. And if only if you know Sylvie Vartan, will you get this color combo or will you get this um, sort of cheeky reference? And I, it's such a sense of humor. And I think 
that's something that I find is missing a lot in, mm. I would say in the industry at large, like everything's so serious. And, and I, I don't know why it should be. I mean, it's, it's the least serious thing we do. We put like <laughs> we put makeup and color on our face that we don't need to wear. That's supposed to make us feel, you know, better and more powerful and more confident. And it's, it shouldn't be serious. So, mm. um, I think, you know, to answer your question, like, why did it work to do like a really strong eye and a really strong lip? I think there's always something about the balance. And, and I think that's something that I always really think about um, and has sort of always thought about in my career is like what Coco Chanel said about like, take one thing, one thing Away. off before you leave, you know, so maybe it's about how you leave the skin. The skin is more fresh when you do a strong eye or lip, or maybe, um, you know, when you do a really heavy contour on the face, you you don't do as much on the lip or eye. So there's something about like what you, what you don't do, I think is as important to what you do. And that's really in the artistry, right? To like, that's not something you can teach or learn. You're just like, what's the one thing? And then, and then you instinctually know that, right? Well, I think it's a lot of trial, trial, trial and error. error. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think some, some of it maybe is instinctual. I think there's, I think there is part of it that is that, but then I also think you know, when you, I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years, something like that. I, I won't even, tell anybody. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, it's, you know, it's something that I've done and, and I've, I think you learn um, what works and what doesn't. And I think mm. oftentimes, um, and I think, again, this is really about like the makeup artists, the photographers, the stylists, like the teachers, the people that I've worked with um, have cultivated that in me. And I think that so often it's about you know, you try something. And I think that's, that's sort of part of the job. At least that's what it always has been. Like you try something, if it doesn't work, you take it off and you do something else. You, you learn what works from doing. And I think sometimes making mistakes and, you know, maybe sometimes you're, you're, you're being a little bit too much in the moment. Maybe you're following what's happening with the trend. Maybe you're, maybe you're doing something that is like not as authentic to what you really think. And you try it and you realize, oh, okay, that didn't work for me. I don't like when the skin looks like this, or I don't like that much foundation, or I don't like mm. that type of eye makeup, or I like when the mascara is clumpy, not clean. Like you, you develop all of these little um, characteristics that then really start to formulate your point of view. And I think that's something that's so interesting. Mm. Like what I've always been attracted to in the makeup industry and, and why I love makeup artists, you know, is because we're like-minded and I will never do something the same as someone else. Like, even right. if we have the same grief, um, you know, we'll approach it in a different way. We, we all have our own sensibilities and we all have our own touch and we all have our own, um, I guess our own feelings that we inject into our work. So there's, there's room for everybody's expression. And I think that's so beautiful. That's, that's my favorite thing about, um, I think it is really beautiful. Going back to the access of, of, you know, having access to everybody's work or having access, you know, via social media um, to follow like emerging artists, to follow, um, you know, emerging style icons that, that are sort of, um, you know, existing in this different realm. I mean, it's the mm. same thing that we did 20 years ago with magazine editorials. It's just now all digital. So it's, it's I still find it, you know, really inspiring and really, um, really exciting. And I think, you know, flashing forward to what I've done with Shiseido, like seeing that generation of artists um, connect and respond to the products that I've created is like the most rewarding thing um, that I could 
that I could ever think about. I mean, more than um, maybe as much as like having a real person, um, you know, like the product, obviously that's the most important thing. But when, when makeup artists like the product, like the payoff, the texture, the color, the performance and, and use it in their work, that's also um, so rewarding to me as well. Well, I, I was so lucky to be at the makeup launch um, of the line that you created. Was it even two years ago? Time is flying. I know. I feels like it was yesterday, but I forgot this year doesn't count. So, you know, it kind of <laughs> was yesterday. Um, but, you know, just seeing I, I, I. I always say on this podcast, especially that I just love good things happening to good people. And, you know, to see how you were enjoying how everybody was loving and testing and something that you created. Oh, can you explain what that feels like? Not everybody gets to experience something like that, that regular people are geeking out over your creation. It's 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 still actually one of those like, um, you know, I have those I have. I'm probably like a lot of people. I, one of the things that's the hardest for me is to like really truly live in the moment Mm. because I think that, you know, um, especially with, you know, um, development guidelines, which we're always in development of something that's launching, you know, two years from now, um, we work so far in advance. So we're always in the future in a certain respect. Um, I think fashion, you know, industry was always like that too. You're always six months ahead of everybody. So you almost negate this idea of like living in the present. So Mm. having those moments, um, you know, having like, like when we launched the brand and like actually celebrating and actually having that moment to sort of like let it kick in. um, It's, it's crazy. I mean, I think I'm, I'm incredibly humbled to be some, you know, like gay freak from, you know, the suburbs of Missouri that like was able to, you know, was, was given the, opportunity to like reimagine one of the oldest makeup brands um in the world it's it's totally crazy and um totally amazing and like what an opportunity and um i still have those pinch me moments like i still get excited when you know someone sends me a dm on instagram that's like you know i just wanted to let you know that i love the foundation or i wanted to let you know that like you know this color blah 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 um you know all of those little things like they mean so much because Obviously, you know, um, I, I think this part of my career and and sort of product development, creating an identity for a brand, um, you know, doing the imagery, creating the like voice and the language and all of that, um, it is such a part of me. You know, it's it's such a part of my personal interpretation of of the brand and um, what I love about the brand and what I've always been inspired by. Um, you know. And, and, and sort of putting my spin on it. So, you know, any sort of, um, any reaction is is just incredible. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, we sort of, but then you sort of move on too. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we've been, we started this project, um, unofficially in 2015, I was sort of, um, you know, thinking about it, conceptualizing some things. And then as the team was built, um, you know, to, to put the team in place that was required. So, you know, the marketing people and the product, um, actual product development people and packaging and, um, you know, the visual merchandising, all of it, like we sort of were put together staggered between 2015 and 2016. And then we launched in 2018. So, um, 
you know, we were able to sort of, we did, I do feel like we had a lot of time to really think about it and, and I, to decide what it was that we wanted to do and what our point of view was, um, what elements of the brand we were going to highlight and, and what was going to inform our storytelling moving forward. Um, but then now it's like, now we're just on that cycle where it's like, you just keep moving. Like, it's like, you know, okay, well, we, we're launching this in January and then we'll move on to the next thing. So, um, yeah, I don't even know if that answered a question at all. It's, it's, no, it's it a- did. It, it really did because, you know, it's interesting. Like if you release one film and you have a slate of films, you know, and you're like, okay, so, and then you start analyzing things and you're like, people are responding to this film. And so that means that this film is going to serve this purpose. And I understand the puzzle pieces of, of looking at the big scope of how this lays in the scheme of things that you're going yeah. to do. And it, those are all things that you have to think about when you're, you know, thinking big. I think those are the hardest things too, because I think, you know, and, and I think sometimes for me personally, the most difficult things are exactly those, like the difficulty lies in the editing, right? The difficulty, you know, and you know, this is like from, from, from making films, like so much of the magic, so many of the things that you really love and that you really respond to and that are really personal, like end up not being seen by anybody. And I think that's the same thing, um, you know, with the work I do, whether it's, in product, I mean, I can't tell you how many shades and how many formulas and how many textures, you know, we haven't launched that have just stayed internal for whatever reason we, we walk away from. Um, and even just imagery, like imagery for ad campaigns, imagery for social, imagery sure. for, for all of that. I didn't that. think about that. Mm-hmm. We, we sort of overshoot. I, I like to overshoot so that we have options again. Um, so you feel like you're getting the, the truest expression, I guess. Um, but yeah, so much of, so much of what, what we do, you don't actually see, um, what, when you're editing, what does it tie back to? Like you talk about the voice and things like this. What do you like in a film? It would say, I I would say, Oh, I love this call with the psychic. We have to have it in the movie, but somebody would be like, Tiffany, it doesn't tie back to any of your themes. (laughs) And I'm like, ah, you know, what, what do you weigh things against? I think part of it is, um, you know, part of it is that, like, if it's if it's if it's maybe too far outside of the the voice or the code that we sort of set for the brand, that's that's one right. valuation. Um, and then and, I think, and who comes up with the voice, James? So who? How we, do you? Is I it, mean, it's a it's a group. So like, so we the team that I'm on, um, which is based in New York for Shiseido Makeup, is um, you know we're we're a very small team that works directly with our headquarters, which is based in Tokyo. So. Um, it's sort of like a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a group effort. We all sort of put our heads together and say, okay, yes, this works. No, it doesn't. Yes. This seems right. Um, to what you were saying earlier, also part of it is like, what did, what have we, what has the consumer responded to? What have, mm. what, what's working, what's not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So part of it is like, how do we amplify what's working at the same time as like being open to like and experimenting with something that is is new and and trying something different. So it's definitely a consensus, right? Like it's um it's 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 people on our communication team, people on our marketing team, people um sort of just at, in the brand in in Tokyo. Um I think everyone has sort of an opinion about it and you sort of just I guess you noodle it and finesse it until you until you land on something that everyone agrees on. But mm-hmm. um you know, it's ultimately commerce too. I think that's the other thing. Like I always think about like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not creating 
um, you know, I'm not doing makeup for a film that is gonna, that's like esoteric and is gonna be, is just for mood or is just for, um, you know, it's just performance. I mean, right. I, I, I love doing that as well in my career, but like what I do for Shiseido is ultimately um, you want people to be attracted to it. You hope that mm -hmm. people are attracted to it. People resonate, respond, and that it implores them to try the product. So I think there's, there's, it's very different from just, I guess, blind creation. Like, like I might, like, I'll use this as an example. Everyone at Shiseido will kill me for saying this, but I'll say it anyways. Um, you know, I love yellow against the eye. Yellow is a shade that is probably historically the lowest performing eyeshadow oh, or eyeliner. Sure. But, you know, I've wanted to do a yellow eyeliner since we launched the brand and I'm finally launching it in May of next year, mark <laughs> your calendars. Um, you know, and so, but it's sort of about level setting the expectation, right? Like I know that like, I don't think that the yellow, although it's really expressive and cool. And I think that there's a lot of things you can do with it. I don't think it's gonna be, it's not gonna sell as much as a black eyeliner, but you know, to have the opportunity to put that expression and that personality in a range, yeah. you know, managing your expectation, knowing that like the black liner is always gonna sell more than the teal or the yellow or the white. Um, but you still want to do the teal, the yellow, and the white. Yeah, I have your white. <laughs> I love the white. the white. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And the teal, forget it. I mean, I love, 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 love. Um, when I think of Shiseido, I think of skincare and like the perfect skin. And I think that's been like, and of course I think of, you know, um, how the makeup makes my skin look better, you know, and how did that, how did that come to be? And is that still a thought when you're creating things for the line? Um, I think that, that most people feel that way. Is that true? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think, I mean, and that was something that we really, we, we sort of landed on before we created anything really was this, I, you know, when we, part of the initial development, when, when the team sort of was put together was, was speaking to, consumers, speaking to artists, speaking to editors, speaking to, um, you know, pe people in and out of the industry that that know about the Shiseido brand. And I think historically our heritage has always been in skincare. We've always had makeup products as well, but I think what people know about Shiseido and what people are really loyal to um, in the brand is skincare and this understanding of um, Shiseido understands because of their research and the art and the science, the sort of fusion of art and science, they understand skin texture, they understand, understand like efficacy, um, safety, all of those things that are real hallmarks of the brand. So mm -hmm. when we were thinking about makeup, we knew that it had to correlate with that. Like it couldn't just be, um, makeup for makeup's sake. It had to also be something from a textural point of view. We wanted something that felt like skincare, that felt weightless, that felt um, very invisible, mm -hmm. that felt really sensorial so that it was this new experience in makeup that didn't feel heavy. Because um, I think that's one thing, you know, I think from a makeup artist's point of view, I'll always say, and I think you can, you can speak to this too, like the skin prep is always what makes the makeup look beautiful. Mm -hmm. The How you manipulate the foundation or how you manipulate the eyeshadow or the lipstick is, is sort of secondary to what the skin really looks like. And I think portraying skin in like a very alive, um, very vibrant, very healthy sort of way is something that has always been important to me as an artist. And I think 
translating the Shiseido DNA into a makeup line, I think that was the most important thing that we could do is this idea of no matter what you're wearing on the skin, complexion, blush, highlighter, illuminator, you know, or it being an eyeshadow, eyeliner, lipstick, whatever, is that it had to have this um, surprising element of like weightlessness, of like an interesting texture, something maybe that you haven't felt before, or just the idea of pure weightlessness so that you never felt, um, even if you have a lot of makeup on, you never feel um, the weight mm -hmm. of the So that was something that I think, um, that's that's sort of always our marching orders when it comes to any product that we develop, and I think um, I think that's what people respond to. It it, it feels really different. Um, it's a very different approach to makeup because, you know, oftentimes I think especially as we've all experienced when makeup has a lot of performance, when makeup is long wear, when makeup's waterproof, when makeup right. is um, stays on, sometimes that really denigrates the comfort of the right. formula and it makes it feel really sort of horrible, you know. If you feel suffocated by your waterproof, long-wearing, performative makeup, that that is not a good sign. <laughs> well, and that was the thing too. It was like, I think there was an element of surprise. Like we, you know, I think for all of us, um, you know, that worked on this project, I think we were, and, and still, you know, all of us that are still working on this project, something that was really important for us is like to feel things that we hadn't seen or like to reinterpret or reimagine something that we hadn't seen. So um, we, we're launching a foundation um, in January that is all about light and light optics and light reflection. I want it. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And it's it's really something like, you know, again, we think about like how we how we started approaching this product was, you know, there are there are people among us that like coverage when it comes to foundation. Right. We want something that feels like really comfortable, really hydrating, um, but that's also gonna make your skin look flawless. And a lot of times when you build a heavier, fuller coverage in a foundation, it doesn't feel good. So how do you not only make it look like your best skin um, imaginable, so how does it handle light? Because, you know, I think any makeup artist, photographer, anybody that's worked, you know, any, any amount of time on set, I mean, even all of us now, as we are adapting to like spending our life in front of a Zoom, right, right. Um, you know, the lighting is everything, right? <laughs> and so how do you how do you incorporate light optics and light diffusion and light reflection into a formula that actually optimizes the look of your skin, that gives you this like illuminated, lifted look um, with a full coverage that feels comfortable? So that's um, what this foundation that we're launching in January is um, is is all about. And it's I think it's it's interesting because it's it's really modern. I think that's what we challenge our R and D team um, and our chemists that formulate all of our our textures and formulas. Like we really challenge them to do something that hasn't been done and to you know maybe take something that exists in one product and is adapted to another. Like um, our previous foundation, self refreshing foundation, which is a, a long wear performance product, is based on sun care technology. So it was never really put into makeup. So we're like, well, what would happen if we put it into makeup? What if we, what would happen if we had a formula that would um, be activated by oil and humidity instead of like broken apart because of it? So, so it, that's, I think the interesting thing about working for a brand like Shiseido is like the resources that we have to sort of reimagine and reinterpret something um, is what we, what we always try to do. Are you developing them here or in Japan? 
So it, a combination of both. We have um, our headquarters is in is based in Tokyo, and we have um, an innovation center in Tokyo. Um, we also have an innovation center that's based in New Jersey. Um, we have an innovation center in China. Um, I believe we're opening another innovation center in Singapore or Malaysia. So um, wow. it's it's a little bit of every everywhere. Like we we sort of do some of it here, some of it there. Um, it's it's all based on on. The, the really the formula itself. So so those two foundations that you just brought up, they mm-hmm. are different because one is long wearing and one is one is going to be it's going to be lighter in texture. Yeah. It's it's interesting because both of them are really lightweight in texture. So okay. like they're both weightless. Okay. Um, it's almost the different the different needs. So I oh, think oh, it, oh. like so the self-refreshing foundation, which we launched in 2019, which was which was such a great experience. It was um, the first time the Shiseido brand has had such an inclusive shade range. I mean, um, there's every it, the the campaign is beautiful. It's gorgeous, and, and also was it was an interesting way that was like a way for me to bring in my love of dance. So the whole thing was about dance and the film. How did you do that? How did, are they, are they from a certain company or? So we, we actually, for the film, for the self-refreshing launch, we, um, we worked with this really amazing um, choreographer named Brian Heffington, who does a lot of work um, for film and for television. He's sort of most famous for um, choreographing like all of Sia's videos. Chandelier. Um, Chandelier. And um, so he did the choreography and we, you know, it was just, it was because the formula is all about movement um, and it fights things that typically fight um, makeup wear. So oil and humidity and sweat, and then also facial movement. So like expression, expression, um, moving your face around, typically, you know, the makeup settles into pores. Right, right, right. And as I get, as we get older, oh my God. As we get older, <laughs> everywhere. Um, so we thought there was an interesting way to tell the story of the technology through movement and through dance. So that was sort of how that, um, how that started. And then sort of moving. So it's, it is sort of, again, it's a, it's a, reinterpretation of like what long wear formulas typically feel like. Um, it's a very natural finish. Um, it gives you a flawless look, but it looks like skin, um, sort of a natural matte finish and it's, and it lasts for 24 hours. So it's really for somebody who wants, I think, performance, um, maybe somebody who's a little bit oilier somebody who has a little bit more combination skin or somebody who really just wants makeup. That's not going to budge. Um, radiant lifting is more, I don't want to say radiant lifting is the new one is the new one. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so it's, it's, I don't want to say that it is, um, for a more mature customer, but it is for somebody who wants more coverage. So I would say for somebody who needs coverage, if you have hyperpigmentation, if you have darkness, if you have uneven skin tone, um, but also if you, if you have dryness, if you want something that's going to be more hydrating, this formula, um, delivers moisture for 24 hours. Um, and then the, the technology and the sort of um, optics is about how it illuminates the skin in, in any light. So if you like more of a radiant finish than a more matte or natural finish, this might be something that you like. So, um, but from a weight and a texture, they both, they both feel um, really lightweight on the skin. I'm obsessed with it already. I can taste, <laughs> I can taste it. It's amazing. And I think one thing that was really exciting. So this is the first, um, this is the first campaign that we're launching with Hunter Schaefer, who is our um, brand ambassador, who who I'm 
so excited to have her on board. I think, uh, you know, this, this is, this is the first product campaign that, that she's fronting for the brand. And I think, you know, again, in the, in the, in the creative, um, storytelling, you know, we, we are telling the story about light and this idea about like, um, feeling illuminated with light. And I think, um, in the literal sense that we're talking about the finish and the, and the formula and, and the benefit of the product, I think we're also using Hunter as a metaphor of mm. um, this beacon of hope and, and light and illumination and, and um, you know, this, this representation of a new standard of beauty. I think she, um, she really represents that. And I'm so excited that she um, is, is working with us. It was um, it's something that really means a lot to me. So you'll see more with Hunter um, moving forward. Do you want to tell um, people who might not know Hunter a little bit about Hunter and how this how this happened, this collab? So I think so. So if Hunter is, has been somebody who's who's been in the in the industry, in the fashion industry for quite some time and um, you know, I think she's she's always represented this really um, this this really powerful, interesting uh, point of view um, in, in beauty um, and part of part of what was happening prior and sort of during to during our sort of collaboration with Hunter was um, she was cast in the show um, HBO show Euphoria. Mm -hmm. um, so so anyone who maybe hasn't seen Euphoria. Um, See Euphoria. <laughs> you know, it's it's something that was really interesting about Euphoria was this like Gen Z sort of zeitgeist of makeup and almost mm -hmm. like the beauty in the show. Um, and and I think the beauty of the show is that the makeup and the beauty looks really almost became part of the character yeah. and part of the expression. And I think um, not just Hunter, but like the show also stars Zendaya. Um, Barbie Ferreira, um, Alexa Demi. There's so there's all of these um, Sydney Sweeney, Sydney Sweeney, um, Maude Apatow. Um, it's there's this great cast of characters yeah. that are just really I think bringing this new language in beauty. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know I knew about Hunter before Euphoria, and then as Euphoria was start, sort of starting, it was like oh my god, we need Hunter um, for Shiseido. It's so perfect. It's a perfect alignment of just bringing this different approach to makeup, um, maybe a younger approach, but also an artistic approach. And, you know, aside from being, um, being an actress, she's also an artist. So bringing this level of artistry to makeup, which I think should inherently be there. Yeah. Um, but I think what we hope with Hunter, um, it just promotes this dialogue of like, disbanding the rules, having a little bit more fun, being playful and, and just, um, integrating your own point of view and your own artistic um point of view into into how you wear makeup you know she she said something like early on when we were we we're starting to um, create content with her was she's like you know i'm somebody who likes to like draw on my face like like literally draw on my face and i'm like that's that should be what we're doing more, more people should be yeah into that you know like why does it have to be a conventional eyeline like take it take it out to your temples, draw on your forehead, draw around your mouth. Like, so I think she just encaptures this really modern feeling of beauty. Um, mm. And we're, we're so excited to share more with um, what we're doing with Hunter. It would be nice to bring back artistry to the beauty industry. Right? That would be great. <laughs> it's such a no-brainer, right? I mean, it's, it's totally a no-brainer. This, this was a story that I did, uh, I, I think it was 2009 or 2010. 
um, working with, with one of my favorite photographers, Tony Kim, um, who I, I, I did a lot of beauty work with him. And this was um, for a magazine that my good friend Keith Pollack at the time was the editor in chief of this magazine du jour um, that's no longer around. And we were channeling um, Warhol superstars um, on the shoot. And so the model is as Andrea Pejic, um, who we cast because we sort of thought that she really embodied the spirit of, of Warhol and like Warhol superstars. So when we um, conceptualized the shoot, we, we sort of were going to transform her into iconic, um, iconic characters from, from the, the Warhol and the, the factory days and including Andy. Um, so the image that you're talking about is actually Andrea as Andy Warhol in drag, um, which is sort of all kinds of meta because, um, you know, I, I, just the idea of gender bending, the idea of a different representation of gender, the idea of um, transcending, I think, gender, which is something that I, I've always thought personally about. I think that's that's part of why Hunter is such a perfect affiliation mm -hmm. with Shiseido. Um, I think it's part of why I, you know, when we were talking earlier about the make up your mind, express yourself images, like I've never thought about gender as being something um, linear, um, especially when it comes to makeup and makeup is sort of for everyone. So this opportunity, this, this shoot was really interesting just to the idea of transforming. Um, and I think so often as a makeup artist, you don't, you know, you're doing makeup to groom, you're doing makeup to oh, yeah. accentuate like the character um, maybe you're working with a celebrity and you're just, you know, she always wears red lipstick. So you're putting red lipstick on. And this was a real <laughs> opportunity to transform somebody and really to, to showcase makeup as a vehicle for transformation and showing Andy and Nico and Candy Darling and Edie Sedgwick. It was just, um, oftentimes you don't, you don't get that opportunity, I guess, in your, in your work to, to show all of your, um, yeah sort of bells and whistles and tricks. And that was just, it was memorable to me because I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Warhol fan. I'm so inspired by um, that era and all of those people and that, that moment in pop culture and sort of, um, again, thinking about how forward thinking and how prophetic, you know, Andy really was about like this whole idea of everyone's going to be famous for 15 minutes. And, you know, his posted stamp size portraits that are now like the model for Instagram posts. It's like, it's like it's we crazy. live in a world that actually was, um, you know, sort of created sometime in the totally. 60s or 70s by, by, you know, this very forward thinking artist. So um, yeah, I just, I love that shoot in it. I think it also speaks a lot about me personally. Um, and, and it was such a personal, um, personal moment. I mean, I think I've, I've had lots of opportunities like that in my career, but I think that one for the, just everything that sort of, um, sort of melded together perfectly. It was really one of those moments. Well, Cause that it's still, I, I it's still that. really beautiful. The look, I mean, you know, it's, it's really beautiful. It's, and it's so timeless in a strange way. So what made it timeless that, that, is it our minds that's making it timeless or is it really timeless? <laughs> it's, I know that's the craziest question, but I'm just thinking well, about it. It's interesting because I think we always use the word like, and I know that, you know, you know, the industry overuses lots of words like, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. Like, you know, you're on set and you're talking to an art director or a photographer or a stylist. And it's always like, you know, there becomes this vernacular of like, 
you know, we wanted to, I, I want it to be, you know, I want it to be iconic. Right. Like that's what everyone always says. We and all like, want viral iconic. That's right. So <laughs> I think it's like, I think like these images to me, because like, at least for me and like looking through that lens of Warhol, um, you know, these were his icons. These were his music. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you ask everybody, um, you know, I you know speaking about our, our mutual friend, Justin, you know, the idea of a muse um, is something that is, is, has a lot of longevity in your career. And right, I, right. I don't know that I have one. Um, I have many muses that, that sort of inspire my, my work and my career and, you know, everything I do. Um, but they are consistent. You have those consistent muses, those things that constantly inspire you. Maybe it's um, a movie, mm -hmm. maybe it's a film, maybe it's a, a piece of art. It's a, it's a, it's an opera, like whatever those things are, they, they always have that inspiration. So I guess for me, why it feels iconic to me and why it feels timeless, I guess, is because it's, I'm paying, I'm sort of referencing something that existed before. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's sort of need for both of that. Right. I think, you know, you, you always want to try to, um, you want to try to create something that hasn't existed before, but I think you also, um, you know, as artists or as creatives, we also pay homage to, the things that have inspired us and the things that have um, cultivated who we are. So I think, um, yeah, I guess that's always the goal. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I know it's, it's, that's really well said actually. Um, you know, and I know Morrissey is one of your muses because that's what, one of the things I love about you. <laughs> one of the many things. Now these wigs, who did this hair? So the, the, the wigs were amazing for this too. So, which, which, which was also part of the transformation. So the, um, the hairstylist, his name's Kenji and oh, okay. just, um, incredible. And I, I actually think this was our first time working together on this, on this shoot. And I was really nervous about it because, and you probably can attest to this, like, there are hairstylists that are really good with wigs. And then there are hairstylists that are really <laughs> not good with wigs. And I, because so much of the performance of the shoot was really um, wigs. relying on the hair. Um, it's, you're sort of like, cause you know, it's like, you're like, oh my God, the wig, the wig isn't working. Right, 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 um, right. right. Oh God, it looks like, a, it just looks like a bad wig that I got on 14th <laughs> street. Like, oh my God, this isn't working. Um, but no, the, the hair, um, the hair was, was, was incredible. And it's I think so great. Styling all of it. Like I said, it was, it even just down to like the portraiture style, um, and the lighting that, that Tony designed was really about, um, capturing the iconic moment and imagery of each of those characters. So like, you know, the, the, um, sort of but polka dots projected on the Nico character, um, which was part of a live performance video of like Nico and the Velvet Underground. So it was all very much based on sort of bringing these moments to life. Um, and again, I think it, what I love about that, again, that whole story and that whole moment was probably the element of performance because mm. um, it really was performance. Now, this leopard, these aren't the same model. Yes. It's all, it's Shut all up. Yeah. In the leopard? I yes. can't. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so wait, talk to me about this poor eyebrow situation then. Tell me about it. This was not shot in one day. It was shot in one day. Um, so we so we did, I'm trying to remember, like, I can't remember what we did first, but I think we actually did the leopard, which is, is 87. Okay. So 
Um, I think that was it's like I just die. I love it so much. I think it was the first one because we were we were using um, we were using Andrea's like actual brows. It was before we blocked them, so we okay. did that. I think portrait first, and then that was you know wearing like the little black sort of like pixie wig. I wanted to do Edie Sedgwick as a brunette instead of a blonde because everyone always thinks of nice. her as a blonde. Yes, but Andrea is a blonde. We wanted a little more transformation. And then the um, the Nico wig, because we knew that it had the bangs, I also knew that we could sort of cover her eyebrows um, to create. Ah, we knew okay. that we were going to sort of use that film, um, the, the polka dot sort of red gel sort of effect. So then we did those two looks and then we blocked out um, Andrea's eyebrows and, and, you know, she has really okay. full eyebrows naturally. And then we did the Candy Darling, which is the um, purple and the red lip, um, which is my favorite, I think. And it's sort of so redrew the eyebrows on. And then the very last one was um, sort of Andy and drag, um, which we knew could be a little bit more um, like fucked up and messy because mm -hmm. he was never perfect. And like those Polaroids, it's based on a Polaroid of him and drag. And um you could sort of see the brow coming through and you could yep. sort of see the texture of the makeup. So we, we sort of built the day, um, which again, it is so crazy to think that we did that all in one day. <laughs> um, you know, we sort of built the day to what make sure What a day. We you had a drink after that. I definitely had a drink after that. <laughs> How uh, fun. I mean, oh my God. Now what's your secret to the lower, to the, to, to getting that pigment on the lower, um, eye liner? Like why does it travel? How do you stop it from traveling? How do you stop? Why does it look so clean here in this Edie Sedgwick? I think that, I think one thing, you know, it's all about the prep. And I think especially when prep. you're doing anything really precise, um, something that I also learned from Francois and years of working with him is like more powder, like more loose powder, more loose powder, more loose powder. Like loose powder is the thing that like hmm. saves your life because it sort of sets everything. Um, it keeps makeup on and it also creates like a little bit of like a diffusion. Um, but so when especially I do loose powder, I, it gets in my, it makes me look old. I think you have to get a good translucent powder yeah, that, doesn't, good. That, that doesn't have like too much weight. But I think especially when you're doing the like, um, the precision work, like what I would always do is usually start with a pencil mm -hmm. and sort of like a pencil that's actually not long wear, something that is like easy to okay. slip, like easy to remove. So you sort of get the shape that you want and then you can go in and clean it up with the cotton swab or whatever. And then when you like the shape that you get, I powder it. Okay. And then I go in with something more long wear, like a liquid or like a long wear eyeliner. So you sort of get the shape first and then go in with something that's like, um, you know, like a liquid, like I love a liquid that, um, I always like felt tip liquids that work more like yeah. a marker so that you can just really get in and, um, sketch thin, thin and then building it or yeah. Okay. yeah, that's what I always like to do. Um, but that also is one of those things too. I think it's, you know, when you're actually doing that on someone else, it's always about like the right combination of, have you had the right amount of caffeine or, too much caffeine because like if that was like an extra coffee on that day I would have it would have been like this so um <laughs> you know I think that's sometimes you just nail it and sometimes it's like sometimes oh, wow. I'll do eyeliner on the first try and I'm like damn 
thank God you got it. And then the other times you're like, you struggle and you take it on and take it off. So what do you do like when you're struggling and you don't want anyone to know? Like, (laughs) usually you just, I I've learned. And again, I think this is something just from, um, years of working on set. I think you, I think one thing is you, you have to have a plan and you have to have like a direction of where you're going, but you also have to be willing to like scrap it all and start over Mm, and like change direction. Um, cause something, sometimes it is also like, you might imagine like a certain look on somebody and you've never worked with that model. You've never worked with that face. And then you get to set and you're like, oh, actually like her eye is really hooded and the like precise eyeliner is never going to stay on, right, you know, unless she right. this the whole time. So I'm, I'm going to do a smoky eyeliner instead of like this precise. So I think having the flexibility to adapt because like, I know for me, like, you know, if, if I, I have a hooded eye, my eyebrow, you know, my brow bone is getting loose. Um, it's, it's, it's falling. Mm-hmm. Like I can't really do like a sharp, precise eye line because yeah. it's just all going to smudge. So I'll do a smoky eye on my eye shape because it will look better. Yeah. Um, so like working with what you have and not fighting it, I think. Yes. I also think too, if you like, if you try something like three times, it's like, I never want to torture someone that much. It's like, forget <laughs> it. Let's, let's, let's do three a lift. Times. Instead of time. Three times. Yeah. Okay. This is the third time. And then we're, <laughs> we're moving on. I love that. I love that rule. No, I know. I've been doing the, um, on my liquid liners, I've been seeing it transfer up here and I've been like, these, they don't make these eyeliners like they used to. And then I'm like, no, <laughs> Tiffany, you're 45. <laughs> it's always, I think that's always, it's, it's always the, it's, it's somewhere in the middle. Right. Because I yeah. think that too, I do think there's, um, you know, I think that's one thing, like, you know, I remember having this conversation a lot with like, um, you know, clients when I was, when I was still working in retail, very much in the beginning of my career, you know, this idea of problem solving, like mm-hmm. somebody would say, well, my eyeliner always rubs off on my crease or always, my yes. lip liner bleeds or my blush doesn't stay on. And sometimes you have to figure out. Those are that. actually the three things. <laughs> those are actually check, check, check. That I feel like when I was a counter girl, like that's my life. Those three questions after, one after another. It's- they're, they're universal problems. And I think you approach, (laughs) you know, part of it is you can approach it with like, I have a great product that's going to like solve all of your issues and it's long wear and it's this, and it's easy to use. Great. And that's, that is definitely one thing. Part of it's the product, part of it's how you're using the product. So like understanding if you're doing something weird in your application. And then part of it is honestly just the reality that we're three-dimensional, real, warm, living, breathing creatures that are going to do things to like, you know, our makeup and the products that we wear. So, um, right. being realistic, like, you know, I, my, my, one of my best girlfriends, like who always wore a very precise, you know, bold red lip for her whole life. She's like, yeah, my lips aren't what they used to be. They're deflating my, I'm getting lines around my mouth. I'm going to wear a transparent red lipstick instead of a matte lipstick. Keeping it red, be- but just changing the, the formula. Exactly. That's great. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I like that. Um, all problem solving. It really, I mean, <laughs> what, what, what did I want to ask you? Oh, yes. So there, there again is the smoky on the lower, which is always the goal, but never achieved by many. This is a true, true talent. And, also, you know, when you, I think one thing that I've always told people when you are doing a smoky eye, um, you know, versus a really graphic or sharp eye, like, 
a smoky eye. And again, something that I learned from working with Francois, it's like, I always hear these words in my head, like a smoky eye should be like a cloud. So like, you should never have like hard edges. So like, which also means that you can take a smoky eye, like out to your temple or like up to your eyebrow or like down to your cheek. Cause as long as it's like blended and doesn't have like a hard start and stop, it will look beautiful. And it also really frames the eye. Um, I think that's one thing that makeup artists do that like, you know, real people won't do on themselves is like a real, like we stop on ourselves when we see the end of a feature. So like my eyebrow stops here, I'm going to stop there. My eye stops here, my lip stops here. Where when someone else is working on you, they naturally see you in in 3D. They see all angles of you. So, you know, you make you make your eyes look bigger by bringing your eyebrow out to your temple and your eyeliner out to your. So don't always go a little bit further than you think, because sometimes that makes the biggest difference. It makes your eye look more open or it makes your cheek more sculpted or it makes your lip look more full. Um, And again, the other thing is, is that if it doesn't work, you can take it off and start over. I, that you know, I forget that all the time that you can take it off and start over. I know for Halloween, I was did another Sally, and I was just like, <laughs> and I was just kept adding it. I was like, I should have started over like a half an hour ago, and I would have saved a lot more time. Like you know, sometimes too, it's also like sometimes you can just you know sort of blast through and do more. Like I, same thing. This was like my first year dressing up for Halloween in so many years, and I, I just literally kept. I just put more and more and more and more and more and more. I was like, I'll just see what happens. You know, (laughs) we'll see what happens. (laughs) I know. And then all of a sudden, everything just turns that one color of brown, black. And you're like, oh, no, I reached the limit. I did it. I did it. Um, James, do you have any advice for for anybody that wanted would want it? Like, what are you seeing now in the artists that come to Shiseido do does that even still happen do people come to the to the retail world for their to break in or how how do you see it all getting started for the next generation it's interesting because I think there's I I mean obviously with you know the the crazy unprecedented time we're in where you know retail and brick and mortar retail is just so such a question mark right now in general I think of course I think what I think what's interesting about like social media and the sort of um, removing some of the walls, I guess, between like brand and consumer um, or fan, quote unquote, is there's a direct line of communication. So oftentimes what, you know, what what I'll hear personally or what the brand will hear, um, our communications team, our artist relations team, you know, we'll just get, we'll get, we'll get reached out um, like, a, like an artist will reach out. Hey, I love your products is it possible to get your products? I'm doing a shoot or I'm doing a movie or I'm, you know, and that's, that's one way. Um, I think, you know, social media is such a, a gift really for all of us because it allows everybody to sort of have their point of view, you know, and, and portray it. And I think what most people, you know, most people are starting that dialogue because they want some sort of engagement. Um, I do think sometimes, the downside of that is that there isn't maybe as much the like development or like the cultivation of your craft or your artistry or like having the opportunity to um, like you're learning in a much more um, public sphere, I guess, which is, which is sometimes tough. Interesting. 
It's interesting, but I also think that like, I, I would say like the younger generation probably doesn't care as much um, as like an older, as an older person might, um, or maybe even as I did, as I was like developing, I think you should have the opportunity to experiment. You should have the opportunity to like try something on. Um, you should know that you should never be um, restricted or limited by like what your sort of expression is. Like, you know, that could be, um, you know, I guess, I guess what, what's harder now than what it used to be is that it's harder to specialize. I think like it's harder to be oh. say, okay, I want to be a special effects makeup artist, or I want to be a fashion beauty makeup artist, or I want to be, um, I want to do men's grooming, or I want to do, um, permanent makeup or, you know, I, I, I think it's harder for people to like understand what the specialty is, where their specialty will lie because they don't necessarily have the same opportunity to try different things on. Um, cause so many things are, is like, it's just here in social media. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, I think advice wise, like, you know, I think one thing that I see, and I guess from, from my point of view, what I'm more attracted to is when I see somebody that has a unique point of view mm-hmm. versus somebody that's doing what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, that the, the world of social media is very saturated and it's very noisy and a lot of it looks the same and people sort of jump on the same thing. Like, you know, like I never understand the like globbing product on a brush and like, you know, all of that, like hundred layers of foundation and all of those weird things that sort of start happening. Like I never understand where that comes from. And also those things are not interesting to me, but like what I do find is find really interesting and inspiring is like, seeing a point of view that seems um, unique or seems like referential, or I think also really interesting is like so many people, um, so many makeup artists use themselves as a canvas Mm -hmm. versus um, using a model or using a celebrity. So this Mm -hmm. idea of self-portraiture, which is also something I think as somebody who loves art is a really interesting vehicle of expression. Yeah. So, so I think for me, it all goes three circles. 360, yeah. right? A full circle. Of, uh, 360, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. is it 180? No, 360. I, I know. What is it? What, I'm not a mathematician here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, I know. Yes. So the point of view is very important and... Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know how, how it's going to change or what the when the bubble's going to burst, but I'm anxious to see, you know, what's going to happen after COVID when people start taking their masks off and showing us their lips again. And I think, and... I, I think what is interesting, though, like one thing I have noticed, and this is, um, I would imagine this is happening everywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it in New York and like I'm noticing it on the streets that like people are becoming more expressive with their eye makeup because they're probably... Yes. So I do think that that's an interesting moment. Like we have been maybe um, from an industry point of view, I think we have been very much in this lip world. And I know, you know, maybe New York is, is an anomaly, but you know, like that's the thing that women often do to like leave the house. It's like, I'll throw on a bold lip, mm-hmm. you know, pull my hair back and throw on a bold lip. And now I think people are reimagining like what liner and eyeshadow and mascara does um, because you're not relying on your lip. Right. Product go outside. Um, lip lipstick is becoming much more personal. Like when you're on a Zoom or mm-hmm. you're just in inside. Um, so I do think it'll it'll shift. I mean, there's there's that there's there's that idea of the lipstick effect, right? Which is always um, you know what happens in times of crisis, whether it's a financial crisis or it's 
war or it's a pandemic, which is what we're living in, you know, there is always those things that like, you know, people will always want those, those little, those little objects that make them feel better. Those little things that like transform their mood um, and become really like personal rituals and personal things. So um, we do see that usually in times of strife. So I do think the reaction, I, I'm imagining that there will be this big sort of um, celebratory moment when we all take to the streets, showing our full faces and our full, you know, our full makeup looks, which I think will be amazing. I, I totally see that happening. I do. I mean, a lot of people are saying like, nobody's going to care anymore and we're all going to be like drawing back. But I, I, I just, I don't see that in my circle of friends happening. I, nobody can wait to to put red on and walk around I agree. and yeah I agree. I agree I think so too um let's see did we cover everything oh my god James this conversation has been so dense and I I feel like we burn calories like <laughs> <laughs> that's good because I'm not burning calories any other way me probably. either me either oh my god I <laughs> that's one thing that I don't I'm not like rushing to do is get back to the gym to the oh, wall no <laughs> i'm not um but i think i think we talked about everything i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go i know you are a very busy man and you're gonna go like invent the next um, wonder foundation <laughs> uh, you know formula right now as as we Keep leave so crossed. I look forward to everything in that's coming in the new year and I can't wait to tell everybody about it and try it. And I look forward to seeing and touching and feeling and wearing everything that you created. Oh my God, it was, such thank a pleasure. you for talking to me. Such a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. And uh, I hope, um, I hope we see each other in person really soon. Oh, me too. Me too. With red <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> Are you guys still with me? That was a lot of glorious information. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did creating it. Let us know. And until next week, maybe I'll see you at the virtual makeup show. It's the 28th through the 31st of January. And head to makeupshow.com for more info. And I have a code for you. Um, this is for $5 off the admission price. And the code is TMS virtuals in all caps. T-M-S-V-I-R. T-U-A-L-S. Bye. Look Behind the Look is a Vinyl Foot production written by me, your host, Tiffany Bartok, produced by Jace Bartok, and produced and edited by Kelly Riley, with audio engineering by Nicole Tucker. If you're interested in learning more, find our video version on the YouTube channel, Look Behind the Look Podcast. There you can see rare photos and clips from our guests. And please follow us on Twitter at LookBehindPod and Instagram at LookBehindTheLook. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. And tell your friends and spread the word. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any podcatcher of your choice. Thanks for listening to Look Behind the Look.